You're listening to the Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the Bible for Normal People, and our topic today is preaching the Bible in the black church, and our guest is Austin Channing Brown, who has been touring the solar system and the galaxies for the past few months from a book that she wrote last year. Yep, called I'm, I'm Still, Still Here. Here. Right. Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. Right, which is just a huge hit and a lot of people are resonating with the book. But we're talking about you know, the experience of preaching and the Bible and just overall experience in the black church. And uh, it was a fascinating and very informative discussion. I actually learned quite a bit. Yeah. And I, I, it's, I, it's one of the metrics I have for uh, successful episodes here at the Bible for Normal People. Right. So how much do I learn? And, and I learned a lot from Austin, so I appreciated that. It's like continuing seminary education. And I mean that. It really, it, like yeah. we learned, so I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. From different perspectives and right. different experiences, which right. in a seminary you don't always get. And that's not always the fault of the seminary. Sometimes you're just limited in what right. you can cover. Exactly so. right, yeah. No, no, no problem there. All right. Well, let's have the conversation with Austin and uh, hope you enjoyed as much as we did. In the black church, it is not unusual to experience every emotion. So if you go to a service and you don't laugh and cry and dance and have a really rich conversation and maybe have one conversation that also made you angry, you probably didn't go to church that day. But I think for us, that's freedom because we so often are navigating a world in which we must be in control of our emotions at all times. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow, or find an awesome template. No judgment. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and she said, can I try some? And so I, I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com, promo code normal people. Well, welcome, Austin, to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Well, we have a lot we want to talk about with you today during our time. But before we do that, we'd like to give people a sense of of who you are, where you came from. So maybe tell us a little of your story and how it intersects with faith and the Bible and, and all that good stuff. Sure. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and my parents sent me to Christian schools my entire life. And so when I was in like preschool, kindergarten, first grade, we didn't really go to church. I don't think we prayed before bedtime or meals, but I was not aware that we didn't do those things because I was in a Christian school. So I just sort of assumed <laughs> that <laughs> we were Christian and everything was Christian and we were all Christian and, you know. 
And it wasn't until actually my parents got divorced that each of them then started going to church. And so my father went to a Black Baptist, maybe 200-ish people where we could clap and dance and sing and have all the liveliness. And then my mother went to Presbyterian churches and Episcopalian churches, and it was like the complete opposite experience. And then, of course, went to, I think the um, the elementary school I went to was Assemblies of God, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly. So I was getting a number of church experiences <laughs> by yeah. the time I was about 10 years old, which I kind of enjoyed, actually, uh, depending on the Sunday, of course. So, yeah, my faith has been formed by a number of pastors, churches, denominations, uh, since I was a little kid. How, how is that, the differences that you grew up with, how do you think that that impacted you and shaped you in different ways? Do you remember specific things from specific traditions that resonated with you? Oh my gosh, do I? Um, so, my Christian school was predominantly white, and I really, I didn't know anything about like whether or not, like this debate about whether or not women could or could not preach and give sermons and all the things. And so, our chapel services were almost always male, but I never, I never thought to question it. And the way, <laughs> the way their chapel services went usually went something like, "Do you see this tube of toothpaste in my hand?" <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am now going to squeeze this tube of toothpaste. Good for you. Okay. Child, come join me up here. And try to put the toothpaste back in the tube. See how hard that is? <laughs> this is like your words. Once your words come out of your mouth, they're not very easy to put back in. So we should watch what we say. And then came the part where you're supposed to accept Jesus into your life. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Yeah, that, that logic is impeccable. That's right out of the Bible, I think. I mean, kind of right? And then there would yeah. be a cute little Bible verse that would be attached. And we would go on about our weekend. <laughs> yeah. So the first time I walked into a black church and you were actually expected to take your Bible out and read along, that was novel. I walked in and there was a choir, that was novel. Said choir did not necessarily stay in their seats. <laughs> <laughs> That choir danced, and and every song they sang had a different twist on it. There was a choir director who would change the song every week, so you never knew what was coming, and if you thought you knew what was coming, there were no slides to tell you what the words were. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. I know. Slow down. No, over, no, I don't, no overhead projector. What, listen. Uh, can't, that can't be. None. All right. There, wow, wasn't, right. there wasn't even space for one, because you would have been covering up the cross, and that would have oh. been a no-no. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, gosh. It could not have been more culturally different. And so then I went from this like very kid-friendly space to this Black Baptist church that was full of energy. And then every other weekend, I would go hang out with my mom in a very quiet service that was very heady, very intellectual, and very proper. <laughs> I was like, this is fascinating. So obviously I had a preference, but I, looking back, it really was kind of fun to experience so many different church traditions before I honestly understood anything about 
church denominations or who believed what or why. Um, I was just a participant, and that was okay. Well, do you gravitate now, uh, thinking of your experience when you were young, do, do you gravitate towards one of those expressions more than the other, or are you more eclectic or just went in a different direction altogether? Yeah, that's a great question. I will always, always, always be in love um, with the sort of traditional black church. And I, I think that's for a number of reasons. I think one, as I've gotten older, I have personally experienced the freedom that comes with being in a black church, with, that comes with being in the majority, that comes with being able to define the culture instead of fighting leadership over the culture. Mm. There is just something that is very safe about black churches. And that's not to say that they're perfect or utopias or, you know, I'm not trying to be extreme at all. Um, but in terms of where I sense belonging, there is just nothing like being in a black church for me. Like, I mean, would it be fair to say that your race isn't something that has to be explained? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And and everything connected to it, right? So when I go to a black church, I'm not wondering whether or not the latest social injustice is going to be spoken about. You know, I'm not, I'm not wondering whether or not um, we're going to pray about it whether or not the pastor is going to speak about it, whether or not the pastor is even going to know <laughs> about it. So there's there's a great deal of safety. So the safety in knowing that this is from this tradition, they're going to talk about social issues and, and injustices. Where, you know, kind of looking at your past and your history and understanding that, where does that come from? Because I, I would guess that that's, you know, you kind of say in the black church, would that be true of, of basically all the black churches that you've ever been a part of and and kind of where does that come from of this tying of social justice in with the faith tradition? You know, it's really funny is that when I go to white colleges, in particular, predominantly white colleges, there is almost always a student who will say, "Um, can you tell me more about the connection between faith, the Bible, and justice? And I'm always a little taken aback by the question, not in offense, but because my mind starts spinning, because those distinctions generally don't exist in Black churches. There is no question about how those three things, the Bible, your faith, your spirituality, and justice all fit together. It is simply understood that they do. It's kind of like being asked, can you tell me about the connection between Christianity and Jesus? Right. Like, I've never thought of that connection before. <laughs> right. Help me understand. Right. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. it really is. It's, it is. They are not taken apart. They're not disembodied from one another in most black churches. Now, of course, there are very conservative black churches that do not talk about justice particularly the larger the churches get, like when you get into mega church land, there are absolutely churches that are culturally black, as in the music and the expressions, but are taking a very different reading of the Bible. What would you ascribe that to? Why, why do you make the connection between the law? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's, that's true. What, what do you think accounts for that? Power and money. <laughs> so, if I go back to your original question, sort of how how did we even get this, right? Mm-hmm. The Black Church was quite literally formed in opposition to slavery because white supremacy 
in slavery was trying to answer all kinds of theological questions about black bodies. For example, do black people even have a soul? Mm-hmm. Can black people become Christian? If black people become Christian, does that mean we can't have them as slaves anymore? Because you probably shouldn't enslave your sibling. Yeah, do the math, pal. Come on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so, in order for Black folks to indulge in a faith tradition, it required um, doing so outside of white supremacy, outside of the whole industrial complex that was slavery. And that is in large part why... So, so imagine being enslaved and hearing slaves obey your masters and right, all these, like, any, any verse that could possibly be twisted to say you are subservient and you should be subservient. Mm -hmm. And now you have the opportunity to either read the Bible or simply reinterpret the stories that you've heard out of the Bible through a lens that is explicitly tied to your own experience of the world. Well, when you are actually enslaved, how do you not read Exodus and go, huh, I think God doesn't like slavery. I think maybe God wants to crush injustice. I, I think that Moses and Jesus might be connected somehow. Mm. Right? That there, there is literally no separation. That the Bible is, is, that if the Bible is true, then it must speak to what my body is experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. And therefore, out of a people who have been enslaved, it inherently must, in some way, recognize injustice and speak to that injustice. And it's still doing that today in many mm-hmm. churches. Well, okay, so this is bringing us, I think, to maybe discussing how the Bible works in the black church, specifically mm-hmm. in sermons, because, you know, I mean, Jared and I, and not, not to try to be cute or funny about this, but, you know, a lot of our preaching experience growing up is essentially a lecture. Sure. You know, and it's, it's it, even though it can be really good lectures, like very conversational lectures and very artfully done and, and you learn a lot, but it, it seems to be more about passing on information. Right. And not, not, not to prejudice the question at all, but I'm, I know a little bit about preaching in the black church, not a lot, but I know that it's not that. It's not. It's <laughs> right. so, not. So, uh, t- help, uh, help us understand just just the use of the Bible in the black church, specifically in, in preaching, because it's not the way a lot of people look at it. True. You know? So, um, this is a hard question to answer. So, a couple caveats. One, obviously, I'm speaking extraordinarily generally, <laughs> right? And there are... Plenty of mm. exceptions to all the rules I'm about to name. Well, you know, how about just in your experience? Like, yeah, we, yeah, we don't yeah, have to good, generalize this. Thank you. So, right. yeah, yeah. in my experience, um, particularly in the churches that make me feel safe, I would say that the Bible is trying to, I would say that the pastor is looking for the real world experience of those who lived in the Bible and of us today. So the question is, what is our connection to one another? So I have never heard a lecture, if we stick with Moses, I've never heard a lecture on Moses. I have only ever heard 
Moses uh, was afraid. Moses didn't understand, but Moses went anyway. Moses stood up to Pharaoh. Moses told Pharaoh the truth. And even when the people turned against Moses, Moses still had to do what he knew God was calling him to do. Right? That is completely different from... Right. <laughs> and and, and that's, that is because the point is to form the connection that's with right. people's lived experiences. Okay. That's right. That's right. right. And so, if you are a black person who is trying to speak truth to your supervisor or who is trying to do what's right in your family or who is maybe away at school and trying to figure out what to do in this new world of professors and administrators, um, Black pastors are trying to give congregation members tools that are biblically sound, that give you an identity with Moses or an identity with Esther, um, so that these folks feel like your friends, um, feel like people that you are looking up to, feeling like people that you want to try and model your life after, and folks who are teaching us what we ought not do. <laughs> right. Like, right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Like, here's an example of what you probably should not do. And the way Black pastors do that is so fascinating because black a phrase that you will often hear in the Black church is, now I imagine, mm. or in my sanctified imagination. <laughs> and what the pastor will do is he will turn a chariot into a lowrider, mm -hmm. right? That he will take something that is ancient and say, here is how this shows up right now in your life, on your street, on your block, so that these folks don't feel ancient anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, I what I hear you saying is, first, a, a humanization of the characters. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes for me growing up, the the time of the Bible and the characters were so two-dimensional and kind of one-sided. And so there's this humanizing within the black church that they are, that they're humans and there's things to learn from to do and not to do. So I, n I never really got the not to do part. It was just like, <laughs> be brave like David. David's perfect. He's great. Be, you know, <laughs> right. this, that sort of thing. But also this, you know, that it's kind of, I think of it as like, a, it's making the story 3D and connecting to our experiences and so this imagination would also be would that include like changing the setting changing right. some of the characters it's sort of it's it's taking the heart maybe you can say this better but keeping the heart of the story but then addressing uh, that in ways that would better connect with the audience now right and and i would take it a step further and say that i think what pastors are trying to do in these examples is say that god is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? So, they're, they're trying to say that the same God who freed the enslaved in Exodus is the same God who is watching Black Lives Matter unfold in the world right now. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
You know, Pete, I've been pretty emotional this week and I was trying to reflect on why that was. And it turns out, you know, my best friend from college just died. My mom's been in the hospital and I just haven't taken the time to reflect and process all of that. And it's been coming out in all these wonky ways. And that's exactly what therapy can help with. That's really been my experience with therapy as well. I've benefited tremendously from therapy. And I think lately I've been able to get to the point of why. It's learning to look at your situation more as an observer from the outside instead of just reacting to things, just thinking about it and processing the information. I find a lot of the problems become more manageable that way. And that's what therapy does for me. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BNP today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BNP. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You know, folks, I've had allergies my whole life and I never knew what to do with them. I didn't even know that I had allergies. But anyway, one day I went to the doctor several years ago and I said, listen, I keep having a stuffed nose and it's just my throat hurts and it's horrible. And he says, have you tried Claritin D? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you have to. See, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double-action combination of prescriptive-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. You know, I've been taking Claritin-D for my allergies for about 15 years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for hikes without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat, and my nose isn't stuffed all the time. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. What is there a, what's the what's the uh what's the power in that? Why why does that why would a a pastor want to do that? Yeah. One, because Black folks so identify with our ancestors, right? And so I think that's partly because we don't have family crests. Many of us don't have family crests. We don't have a whole lot of tangible items that were passed on because we haven't owned much traditionally, historically. And so what we had with our ancestors is time and connection. Tradition, like Black-eyed peas and cornbread, and <laughs> cast iron pots and and the Bible. And so what often connects us to one another and connects us with God is this idea that the story isn't finished yet, that God was addressing injustice then, and God is still capable of addressing injustice now. And there's a great deal of power in that. You know, I remember um, when I was in seminary, and this is definitely one of the the, the the brighter aha moments, but it was in a preaching class. And our professor is a good man who was talking about the art of preaching, blah, blah, blah. And a, a student took objection to what he was saying because the student said, well, the point of a sermon is to teach people doctrine. Mm. And the professor said, no, it's not. The point of a sermon is to make people feel the presence of the kingdom of God. Man. 
And like that, I actually still get emotional thinking of that because yeah. like I think that's it. I don't know how to do that, but I, <laughs> but I think that's I think yeah, I think that's it. Seems to be the point. It, it seems to be to create an experience and a meaningful one that changes you and that shows. Uh, I think you just said it. That gives you hope. Yeah. That gives you hope that the story's not over and it's continuing. That's right. That's right. And and I would underline that it's creating an experience. It is from beginning to end. Black church is an experience. Yeah. You know, it is walking in the front doors and being met by ushers who are going to hug you and love you and give you a peppermint. It is walking by the church mothers on the front row and complimenting their hats. It is waving to the children who are going to give their little children's talk later on. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is the choir and the preaching. It is the dancing. You know, like the whole thing is an experience. And it feels, I, I imagine it would feel chaotic to someone who has never been through it before. Or an introvert. <laughs> right? There's no slides. There's yeah. no program. No slides. <laughs> no program. No, everybody quiet. No, that's nothing right. like that. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Oh, man. But that, but that's also because it's highly, I, I think of, those those things are a little bit like training wheels, right? When you have the slides and the things, those are for people who don't yet know the culture and don't know the rhythms and the seasons. And so by not having that, it's not that it's chaotic. It's actually probably more organized because it's kind of in the bones of everyone there. That's right. We, we, we know what's coming. And, oh, and so it's we extremely don't the... ordered. Yeah, totally, totally. You know exactly when Sister Johnson on the third row is going to get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. extremely ordered. <laughs> It's just a different kind of liturgy, right? That's it's right. a different kind of liturgy. That's right. It's a different way of saying, here's what I need to loose in order to connect with the divine. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something really important about helping individuals in a very disconnected culture remember, like literally remember that, that there is, that this stuff matters, right? So Pete talking about our tradition. The reason we had lectures was because the information was all that mattered, not the connections between human beings, but that God was somehow transmitting information into my individual brain. And so what I hear when you talk about the black church is I hear the word community and how God is present there and how that matters just as much, if not more so than the other parts of the liturgy or of the faith that we may be privileged in other traditions. I completely agree. And I I think that because, you know, the further we move from history, the increased numbers we get of pastors who have gone to school, have gone to seminary, and are absolutely incorporating doctrine and translating words from Hebrew and Greek and, right, doing all that hard work but not sacrificing the community or the experience. Exactly. Integrating it. Right. Exactly. So, underneath the doctrine is going to be a song from Al Green or Stevie Wonder, right? Like, we are going to Mm -hmm. infuse the richness of Black culture, the richness of today into that sermon because the experience, the community— um, our survival, I think our survival is still paramount 
to whether or not we have every doctrine correct. You know, in in your book, Austin, I think you have, remember, I read it a few weeks ago, but you have a chapter titled, White People Are Annoying. (laughs) Yes. So um, what would you like to tell white people about (laughs) preaching? I mean, about like, to to help white people understand, especially who might not be sympathetic about just the process and purpose of the sermon in the black church experience for community and for remembering and all of that. Like how, how does that function? First of all, how long are the sermons in your experience? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm Episcopalian. Episcop- the smartest white people are Episcopalians because they preach for 12 minutes <laughs> and that's it. And they know enough to shut up and sit down because it's not working. Right. So, so how, I mean, how, um, educate us, talk to us. What, what's, help us understand that and dynamic. No offense to all you Episcopalians. <laughs> People who are listening. So. I can, I can, I'm a Episcopalian, so I can do that. Okay. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I think what's really, first of all, I, I continue to be shocked by how little white America knows about black culture, period. If it's not, you know, a real popular rap song or a real popular rapper, chances are white folks just don't know a whole lot about what is happening in black homes, Black neighborhoods, and Black churches. And so, mm-hmm. I think the most recent example of this was the Jeremiah Wright issue that happened when then-Senator Barack Obama was seeking election. Right. Um, right. You know what I mean? And Is this the goddamn America thing? That's right. That's right. Okay. This clip Talk of him saying it. goddamn yeah. America went like beyond viral. I don't know what beyond right. viral is, but beyond viral, right? <laughs> right, right. And it was stunning to me how many white folks just had zero context for what preaching is in a black church. Mm-hmm. And so the the reason that I, I think I struggle to even answer this question is because if you've never experienced it, I'm not sure it can be explained. Yeah, okay. And I think an example of this, um, so Pete, you and I were at the um, Evolving Faith Conference. Right. And almost everyone there gave a lecture. Right. <laughs> right? I recall that. <laughs> lots and lots of lectures. Uh-huh. He recalls some of it. He was sleeping for most of it. Especially through my own. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it was, it was le- a talk lecture-based, right? Right. Exactly. Passing, right. Passing on of information, right? A lot of information, right? And it's yeah. for people who are deconstructing their faith, who are trying to reconstruct their faith, sort of how does this doctrine, how does this idea, how does God fit into the experience that people are going through right now in 2019 slash 2018, right? Yeah. And... It's good, right? There's nothing bad about it. There's nothing, right? Like, it's, it's good. But then, on the second day, I get up and I preach. And I preach the way Black people preach. Right. And I had the same amount of time as everyone else. But multiple people said to me, I could have listened to you for another 20 minutes. Right. right. That's because I didn't talk about doctrine, I didn't talk a whole lot about like theo- theological truths. Right. I just transported them into an experience that connected the Bible and themselves. Can, can you talk about? I mean, uh, um, I would actually love for you to preach that sermon right now. <laughs> 
because it was it was it was I mean it was it was I'm not just saying this I've said this to many people it was actually beautiful to listen to but what was the story briefly sure. what was the story in the Old Testament it was in the, it was the life of Saul that all that's and David rather that's right and and um and how you connected it to our moment yeah because that's an example people might be able to latch on to yeah, so yeah 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 so in that story. I focus on Rizpah, who is one of Saul's like second wives slash concubines, depending on your tradition. And she gets caught up in all the political madness that is the change between Saul and David. Right. <laughs> and she is deeply impacted by it. And when David officially becomes king, it's assumed that everything will settle down. And instead, David makes a promise to kill uh, five, I think, of Saul's offspring, one of which is Rizpah's son. And David takes things way too far. I would argue yeah. that was far. <laughs> yeah. Just oh, yeah. kill some folks, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's how he rolls. You know what I'm saying? I would argue yeah, right. that, right? But then he <laughs> takes it even farther by just leaving the bodies up. Right. And Rizpah decides that she is not going to take it that she is going to yeah. climb that mountain and essentially hold vigil for all the bodies that are on yeah. that mountain. Mm -hmm. And I argue that people of color and allies who stand in solidarity with people of color are Rizpah, that we are climbing the mountain, that we are saying this is not okay and hoping against hope <laughs> that the powers that mm -hmm. be will try to make reparations, will try to make it right, because they must confess that what they've done is wrong, is mm -hmm. unjust. And you drew a connection, as I recall, between Rizpah's son and Trayvon Martin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that's an easy connection to make if it's you're not. a person of color. Right, exactly. For, it is not one that I ever would have thought of. Right, right. So when you said it, I said, oh, crap. <laughs> what have I been missing? So, okay, yeah, anyway. But yeah, I mean, that was that's uh, that's what you said before of connecting past. That's right. And uh, like contemporizing the stories and connecting through that, which we don't do very often. I mean, I, again, my experience, Jared, like the way I grew up in church is that wasn't really the point. Mm. You know? And in fact, in some traditions, it gets in the way. There's something, though, a little deeper that I want to ask you about, because I, it just struck me as you talked about experiences, that the sermon is creating an experience. And I wonder, is there something that a lot of us can learn from the black church about how to incorporate emotions into our spirituality <laughs> and our communal practices? Because when you start going into experiences— the first thing I think of is, well, we're moving out of our head and moving down into our heart. And that is a, not only is it uh, something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, it's just hard to do. Hmm. And I think maybe the black church and, and pastors in the black church are more practiced at that. Would that be fair to say? And, and how can, yeah, maybe just speak to the emotional agility mm -hmm. in the black church. Wow. So in the black church, it is not unusual to experience at some point every emotion. So if you go to a service and you don't laugh and cry and dance and have a really rich conversation and maybe have one conversation that also made you angry, um, you probably didn't go to church that day. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
But I think for us, that's freedom because we so often are navigating a world in which we must be in control of our emotions at all times. Mm-hmm. Because if I am not in control of my emotions with a police officer, then I could be Sandra Bland. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not in control of my emotions with my supervisor, then I'm an intimidating, angry black woman who needs to be fired. That I need to watch how I walk through stores. Every single time that I go to my local Target, I get my prescription filled there as well for medicine. And I always, always, always stand at that counter I open up my purse, I put my prescription in my purse while the physicians are watching me so that everybody is clear that I'm not stealing anything, that I have purchased this, that I, <laughs> that everything I do is calculated in the world. And to be able to walk into a church where I can be free to experience all of my emotions, to let them all out, and to arrive at peace at the end of it, I think I've I think that's why it black churches take three hours. <laughs> Seriously. We yeah. need some time. <laughs> but, yeah. but there's something again, I, I would for me it's it's learning from the black church because yeah. I just don't know if we know how to access that. It's not like you said. Uh, for you in particular as a person of color to be really guarded. But I think that's something we value in our culture. Is that's right. Like repression of emotion. That's right. And we bring that into our faith. And yet we're emotional people. And so in relationships and in community, then we just fumble through it. And we don't know how to connect emotionally. And so it just painted this picture that I think the black church is ahead of us. In For those of us who don't go to a black church, ahead of us and something we can really learn from. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, Their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in, and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction (laughs) level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community 
long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for Normal People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener to the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. I think because the Black church was born out of oppression, seeking freedom, I think there will always be something particular about that experience. Mm -hmm. And... Part of me, what what I honestly struggle with is that part of me wants the world to know right, about what what it what makes the black church so special and so unique. And at the same time, I want it to continue to be our little secret. Yeah. It's almost like you want people to know, but they have to earn the right to know. Yes. And and, and they can step on that too without yes. without really it's all like throwing pearls before swine, in a sense. Well, we have a history of appropriating things inappropriately. <laughs> yeah. Don't we, though? Yeah, so, sort of. You know? <laughs> but um, do you have a favorite Bible story? I like asking that question, but I hate being asked it because the answer for me is no. I have seven, and it changes every week. So, <laughs> but but do, you, do, you have, do you have one that you feel just says things so beautifully to you. I do. I, I yeah. really love the opening of John. Oh. Uh, why? I it's so poetic. Uh-huh. It's so just beautifully poetic. Um mm-hmm. it 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 feels like it shouldn't be a part of the gospels in some way, you know, because the gospels are so rooted in actual story, right? Like Jesus right. did this and then Jesus went there and then Jesus said that. And it it really doesn't make sense that there would be this opening that the Word was God and the Word was with God. And, like, it's just so beautiful. It gets me every time. Yeah. It is, you know, it, doesn't, it is sort of got, has this rhythm to it. Yeah. And then a crescendo that isn't like, and here's the story of Jesus. Exactly. Like the others. It's yeah. not, here's the generations, well, I, 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 here's where he came from, here's where he lived. It is yeah. this beautiful... It sparks the imagination. Yes! More, I, yeah, I love okay. it. Well, tying that into kind of what we talked about, I mean, I think there's a reason that... I mean, it's, I think it sets up, if we know, you know, the other differences between the Gospel of right. John and the synoptics, it makes sense that John would begin this way. Absolutely. In this more creative... Uh, certainly agenda-driven, but I think a, a worthwhile and worthy agenda uh, portrayal of the life of Jesus in a more poetic way, for sure. Right. And I would say the same thing is true of the Black church, right? That we are absolutely agenda-driven. There is. It's so funny because I listen to white churches talk about being like apolitical and, th- and I'm like, that is a word mm-hmm. I would never hear in the Black church, apolitical. Right. Like, we are mm-hmm. very clear on where we stand <laughs> in everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did, um, 
speaking of that, the the sermons that you've heard in your life, mm-hmm. is there a tendency to preach from like all different parts of the Bible, or are there like favorite place? Like the Protestants, I know they just love Paul, just oh, camp sure. out at Paul, right? Uh-huh. And gospel, sort of Old Testament, yeah, whatever. Um, but where is is it more spread out in your experience, or yeah, it or is. Are there like pet places to land? As, this is going to sound like minimizing language, and I don't mean it to be. But sermons for Black folks are almost a game. Hmm. So it's like, how creative can you be? So when I was a kid, at least one time a year, all the ministers in our church would have to preach from both the Old Testament and the New Testament in the same sermon. Hmm. Every year we do the seven last words And what usually happens is every single minister, again, has to preach on just one of the last words. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament, I would guess that the Old Testament actually gets preached more often. Like if I had to give a survey, that would just be my guess because it is so filled with story, right? There's just so many people, so much happening, so many, here's what you should do Mm -hmm. and here's what you should never, ever do. You know, that it's just so rich in that way. But Black folks are here to talk about the Gospels, too, now. Don't right. don't miss the sermons on Jesus. Um, right. So, yeah. But I think in terms of connecting, though, with people, right. you know, I, right. I do see the point of the Old Testament because yep. there's – it's like the New Testament happens so quickly. <laughs> right. it's, it's like a, f- a few decades and it's over, you know. Right. <laughs> you don't have the time to develop the story genre in the same way because you've got hundreds and hundreds of years of people suffering, things going well, things going poorly. That's right. That you don't really have – you have more of a triumphal tone and clearly the idea – Jesus is coming back like in five minutes, so just don't get married. (laughs) It's like – there really is a belief and I think that sets the tone and, you know, the liberating message of Jesus and I believe too the liberating message of Paul – um, and the anti-empire talk yes. of the New Testament is very helpful, but in terms of the stories, you really have to go into the Old Testament for that sort of thing. You just that's don't right. have a lot. You have the Book of Acts, and that's about it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that even, makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah, and even when mm. going into, I don't think I've ever heard a black pastor preach from the Old Testament and not end it with Jesus. Right. Right. Even when. Obviously, in many instances, there is no Jesus. Like, Jesus does not show up, generally speaking, in the Old Testament. Right. Um, it, you know. <laughs> generally speaking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, the pastor's ability to do exactly what you said, to end with a triumphant Christ, um, is ever-present. It's mm-hmm. ever-present. Well, we are coming to the end of our time, Austin. It's been such a wonderful conversation with you. Can you just let people know where they can maybe continue the conversation with you, either um, social media, online, or just other projects you're working on that they can uh, find out about and where they can find out about those? Sure. So, um, I am all in on the social media. So, my handle is at Austin Channing for both Instagram and Twitter. Um, It's my full name for Facebook, Austin Channing Brown. And then my website is also austinchanning.com. And I actually do have a really exciting project that's about really? to happen. So if people want more information on that, they should totally go over to my website and click on announcement because we're going to have some fun things coming up this spring that I'm really excited to talk about. Keeping it mysterious. I like it. Keeping You're it not mysterious. Gonna tell us. You're going to make us go on the internet. I, I can am. see the frustration in Pete's face right now. He, does, 
He doesn't actually know how to work the internet, so this might be a challenge. <laughs> no, help I'm just him out, really, Jared. Help him out. I'm just impatient is what I am. So, uh, fine, fine. I'll Google it later. Whatever. Excellent. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for, for coming on again and for sharing your experiences and, and your stories. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, yes. guys. Thank you, Austin. You just made it through another entire episode of The Bible for Normal People. Well done to you. And well done to everyone who supports us by rating the podcast, leaving us a review, or telling others about our show. We are especially grateful for our producers group who support us over on Patreon. They are the reason we are able to keep bringing podcasts and other content to you. So a big thanks to Olumuyiwa Oluwasuni, Aaron Brown, Casey Hatcher, Derek Wilder, Greg Jones, Jeremy Jones, Kara Mosley, Ryan Bruckner, Ted Cole, and Mark and Karen Bower. If you would like to help support the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash the Bible for normal people, where for as little as $3 a month, you can receive bonus material, be part of an online community, get course discounts, and much more. We couldn't do what we do without your support. Our show is produced by Stephanie Spate, audio engineer Dave Gerhardt, creative director Tessa Stoltz, and web developer Nick Striegel. For Pete, Jared, and the entire Bible for Normal People team, thanks for listening. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.